This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. In a series on the theme of community right now, and this is the third message in this series, and we've been looking at how God saves us and draws him to him, us to himself, and then he joins us to his people as well. And so the first week, um, we looked at what it means to be a community of the Spirit. The second week, we looked at what it means to be a community of love. And I, I saw this week a, a picture and uh, read an account that I thought really describes what I feel like the Lord is doing in our church right now. And it was, a, it was an account of the, the redwood trees, which are in the western part of the U.S. We saw these in California, northern California, when I lived there. And uh, the redwoods are towering trees. If you've ever seen them, they're just powerful. I mean, majestic in their size, their width. I mean, some of you can drive through them if you've seen that or had that experience. But they're, they're just enormous. And... Um, and so you would assume that to have a tree that tall, you would have to have, if it works like a foundation, uh, you'd have to have a very, very deep roots. But the way these trees hold themselves up, the way they manage their strength is that their roots grow uh, somewhat laterally. And as they grow laterally, they interlock with the trees around them. And so each tree is literally drawing strength and support by the trees around it with which its roots are interlocked. And I thought, what a wonderful picture of what God wants to do in community in our lives, that he wants to grow us together, each an individually planted tree, to be sure, but connected so that there is a forest effect, a a glorious work, which down at the root shows an interconnection of tree to tree, that each tree somewhat strengthens and holds up the other and enables the other to grow. And that's what God is doing in us, with us, and through us. He's strengthening us together. That is his plan so that we grow and mature together. This passage that we're going to read today talks about that. talks about us helping one another to grow together. And it follows a very typical pattern in Scripture where this passage will first of all tell us what Christ has done for us And then the writer will give us several responses, how we are to respond to the Lord in light of what he's done. So it it tells us two things he's done, two benefits, and then three commands of how we're to respond to God because of what he's done. I'm going to focus almost entirely on the third command of this passage. So let's read the whole thing, though. Verse 19 of Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our sins sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day 
drawing near. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the wonder and the glory of your salvation, which comes to us individually. And we thank you as well for the glory and the wonder of your salvation, which is experienced corporately as we mature and grow together into a people that bring you glory. God, I pray today that you would open our eyes to what you've done for us and that you would open our eyes and give us a compelling vision of what it means for our roots in you to interlock and to encourage and strengthen one another. Lord, help us to strengthen one another as we each grow in you. God, we love you. I ask you that you would speak out of your love for us. And Spirit of God, I pray that you would empower me to communicate your word with clarity. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this passage starts off with some uh, sort of ceremonial language. And in it, uh, the author is communicating two benefits of what Christ has done for us. Look in verses 19 to 20. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And I'm going to be very brief here, but it's important that we understand what he's saying because everything he tells us to do is tied to what Christ has already done for us. He's using language from the Old Covenant, from Israel. And he's saying that in the Old Covenant, you know, there, was a, 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 there were holy places and there was a curtain that separated off. Actually, the holiest place, the Holy of Holies, was, was isolated from the people uh, by, by a curtain. And the high priest annually, once a year on the Day of Atonement, went in and, and uh, into the very presence of God. But it was only once a year, and it was only the high priest that did this. And what he's saying is that now there is a new way. Since Jesus has come, there is a new way. That, there, that we have a, he is a new and living way, and that we have confidence to enter the places by the blood of Jesus. The curtain, which was his flesh, was torn. So what he's saying is, just as in the Old Testament, there was a curtain which separated the people from the holy presence of God. Now, that curtain has been torn. Literally, it was torn in the temple when Jesus died on the cross. And now we have new access. We have free access to God. We have living access to God. So now, if you're a Christian, a believer in Jesus Christ, because of his blood, you may come into the very presence of God. This is startling for folks who, uh, who have experienced temple worship. And now to hear that there is a new and a living way. We have new access to God. We don't need a priest to offer a sacrifice for us because he is the great high priest. And that's the second benefit. The first one is we have a new access to God. The second is we have a great high priest over the house of God. Verse um, 21. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. So Jesus is the new and greater priest. He doesn't offer a substitute. He doesn't offer an animal as a substitute for sinners. Rather, he himself is the substitute for sinners. So he is a great high priest and he is ruling over his church. He's made a way for us to have access to God and he is ruling over the people of God. So these are the two benefits. This is the background. Our access to God, God's rulership over us in Jesus Christ. And then given that, he gives these three exhortations. Draw near, hold on, and stir up. 
The first is draw near. Look what he says. Based on the fact that there's a new access to God, verse 11, I'm sorry, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. He's saying the curtain has been torn. Christ has died. He's been buried and he's raised again. So draw near to God. Come to God. Come with a sincere and a true heart to God. It is an invitation and it is a command for us individually and as a group, as a church, to come to God based on what Christ has done. He is saying, do not hang back. Do not hold God at arm's distance. Do not be distant from God. Do not believe the lie. Do not believe the lie that you as a Christian are not welcome before God today. Do not believe the lie that God is mad at you, that God is irritated by you, that God does not welcome you today. Do not believe that lie. Do not believe the lie that says you need to do better before you can even approach him. He's saying that the basis of approach to God is on what Christ has done. And you can't do better than that. You cannot do better than Jesus' perfect life. You cannot do better than Jesus dying on the cross and absorbing God's wrath for your sins and my sins. You cannot improve upon that. You cannot read your Bible a few more times, witness to your neighbor, serve the poor, love your spouse, be a good employee a little bit better this week so that next week God will say, okay, now you may worship me. All of the things I just described are wonderful, but they do not give us access to God. We have access to God. God is changing our hearts so that we then want to go do all the things that I just described for his glory. But he's saying, draw near based on what Christ has done. How do we come before him? With, he says, come with full assurance. How do we come before him with full assurance? Look at look at verse 19. Since we have confidence, full assurance, to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, that is by his death. So we're here today coming to Jesus Christ. You can, you're, you're free to pray to him anytime. Read his word. Think about him. Talk to him. Sing to him because there's open access. And when we come together on Sunday mornings and in small groups throughout the week and over coffee and hospitality in our home and however we gather to connect, we come before God as those who have been forgiven. It's ceremonial language indicating that we are a new people with our sins forgiven. So draw near. I think that's a word for some of us today. Don't hold back. There, you, don't, you don't have a clean, you're a Christian, but perhaps your conscience from what you did before you were a Christian holds you back. You think God must not be as pleased with me if they only knew my background and my past. But Jesus welcomes us by his grace. And that is the motivation for us to live an ongoing repentant life. So that if something is currently pricking your conscience, then ask God's forgiveness. Be reconciled with someone if that's the issue. But God welcomes you because of Christ. Secondly, he tells them to hold on to the confession of their hope. Hold on, verse 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So God has made a new way. So hold fast, hold fast to God, to Jesus Christ, the faithful one. See, these were believers who were tempted to not hold fast to Jesus Christ. And the, one of the primary reasons is 
because they were enduring persecution. They had endured it in previous days. Later in this chapter, it tells us that they had suffered, that some had been publicly exposed and mistreated. Some had been imprisoned for their faith. And so there can be a temptation when you're receiving great opposition to give up. And he says, don't give up. Christ has made a way. Christ is over your life. Jesus is the high priest over his people, and he's faithful. So he says, hold on to the confession that you have in Jesus Christ, even in the midst of temptation. In chapter 13, he's going to say, he will never leave. He will never forsake you. So there's this promise that Jesus never leaves. He never forsakes us. He is faithful. And that's what the promise is here. Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Don't waver for he who promised is faithful. It's a Christ-centered hanging on. You hang on. Here's what he's saying. You hang on because you're confident he's hanging on to you. You can hang on because you're confident that he hangs on to you. He is faithful. So just in summary, before we get to the meat of what I'm going to talk about today, um, There are these glorious benefits. Jesus gives his life and gives us access to the Father. Jesus rules over us and rules over his church. Therefore, come to him in your need. Draw near. Don't hang back. Come to Jesus Christ. Secondly, hold on because he is holding on to you. And lastly, let us consider how to stir one another up. This is the community aspect I want to talk about, though I think everything's been community so far. This is very specific. Verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. Based on what Jesus has done for you, based on his death, draw near to him, hang on, and consider how you can stir others up to following him. See, the access that you have to God is individual. You have individual access by faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for you. But your faith is not individualistic. It's individual, but it's not individualistic. We don't, we don't isolate ourselves from others. Rather, we take the needs of others and their growth in Christ, as we talked about last week. We take that seriously such that we want to consider how to help others who are Christians mature in Jesus Christ. We are to pursue community with others who also have access. So we're accessing, we're approaching, we're drawing near together, and we're holding fast together. And sometimes when we feel like we're losing grip on the the one who's gripping us, who is faithful, we help one another, stir, stir one another up to love and good deeds. Okay, I want to walk through this verse pretty much word by word. Line by line. He says, let us consider. Let us consider. That word can sound a little soft to us. Right? It's like, uh, I want to give you something for your consideration. Hmm. Okay, I'll consider that. That's not what he's talking about here. When he says, let us consider how to stir one another up, the sense of the word consider is a stronger than what I just described. It means pay careful attention. Consider this. Be intentional about this. This doesn't happen by accident. You won't drift into this. You need to stop and give careful thought to this, the writer says. Focus on this. How can you stir up other people to love and good works? 
The NIV says, how can you spur one another on? So what, what it means is that we are to be in community with other believers to such a degree that we have relationship with them and that we can encourage, strengthen, spur them on, stir them up so that they will more passionately follow the Lord by loving Him, loving others, and living a life of service, good works, both before those and to those who know Him and to those who don't as well. But he says, think about this. Think about it. Consider Consider it. Last week, we looked at a passage where Paul was praying that the church would increasingly love one another and would actually overflow in love towards one another. And, and, it, and we talked about how real love is taking an interest in the spiritual condition of other people. That's what we talked about last week. Genuine love is a concern for how others are doing with the Lord. So this week, this command is take an interest in how others are relating with Christ and encourage them in that. Spur them on, strengthen them, help them, provoke them. Sometimes it's translated provoke. Now, provoke is a uh, provoke can be good or bad, as can stir up. I mean, stir up can be good or bad. If you have several kids and one of them is stirring everybody up, that may not be such a good thing. That, that kind of phrase usually means trouble. But you can also stir up in the sense of motivating others. A coach that's speaking to his team prior to a game, he stirs them up. He charges them up. He inspires them. He motivates them. It's more that kind of stirring up, provoking. That, that, that's what's in view here. So the, the growth of other people is to be my view. I'm to pray that we would all increase in love for one another. That's what we looked at in First Thessalonians. And I'm also to practically inspire that love, help others love, help others live lives that are pleasing to the Lord. Their growth is my concern. The Scripture says that we were created for good works. That's what Ephesians 2 says. But, but here's what we often miss. We know that we're created for good works in Christ Jesus. But what we often miss is the truth in this passage. You're to do good works in community. And your community is to help you do good works. You're created for good works, but this is not just an isolated self-help personal plan that God has in view. Here, the author of Hebrews says, you are to stir up other people so that they by God's grace, live a life of good works for the glory of God. So you're to do good works toward one another, and then you're to help one another do good works. This corporate environment is so important. You're to love one another. We know that all over the Bible. But here it says you're to stir one another up so that, they, so that you love one another. You're to provoke one another. Now, often many of us have provoked one another and, and challenged them to love because... We've been a jerk or something. So that's not what's in view here. It's not like intentionally sin so that other people will have to love you because then you're spurring them on. You're stirring them up. You're giving them an opportunity to grow by relating to you. That's not what's in view, but that's the reality sometimes. But we are to help one another, love one another. God saves us, thrusts us into a community so that we can help others follow the Lord. You will grow in love. And you will grow in good works as you relate in community 
And as you mutually, as we mutually stir one another up, provoke one another, stimulate one another, help one another, that is the plan of growth that's in the Bible. And if you are not in community, I think the truth of the Scripture is you just won't be as mature as God intends. There's exceptions. Obviously, some people cannot, for various reasons, be in a Christian community. I mean, their health causes them not to be able to participate in a church, or they are... Uh, in some environment where they can't get out or they're imprisoned or I mean, there's there's very or they live somewhere where there are no other Christians. I mean, there are exceptions, rare exceptions. But generally speaking, you won't love as God intends you to love if you're not in community provoking others to do so and having others provoke you. You won't do good works as God intends you if you don't provoke others and have them provoke you. Well, how does this happen? Because I've been speaking very theoretically. How does this happen? I'm going to speak some from my own observation and experience here because the text tells us to do it, but it doesn't tell us exactly what that looks like. It does tell us one important thing, to provoke other people to love and good works, to stir them up. A main ingredient of that is be together. Here's here's the big takeaway point from this passage. Just show up. I think it was Woody Allen that said, 80% of success is just showing up. I mean, that's 80% of success in life. Now, I don't think there's a Bible verse that proves that out, but I think that's just an observation of of a guy. But here, I think it's pretty interesting that he says, stir one another up to love and good deeds. Well, how do we do that? He doesn't say exactly, except verse 25, he says the next verse, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So what he's saying is stir one another up to love and good deeds, and you can't do that if you are not together. You must be present together. It's so practical because this whole passage sounds so daunting. I opened up. I didn't even know how to cover all the opening stuff very quickly because I opened up with this profound religious theological truth, a biblical historical truth of how God related to his covenant people through the temple and through the sacrificial system. And then the transfer to this or this fulfillment to this new covenant with a greater high priest and a greater sacrifice, all this lofty theological language. And then the exhortation is show up. So if he's made access, if he's the high priest, be together Don't miss out on an opportunity to be with the people of God and having joint access to the Lord Jesus Christ who is ruling over his people. You must be together is what he says. It's just really earthy. It's really earthy. Some of you guys are absent, he says. Some aren't showing up. Don't do that. Stop neglecting. Very earthy stuff. Very theological and then really, really earthy. When God's people gather for worship and fellowship, and interaction. They encourage one another, and so be there, he says. Because, we're going to look a little, I'm going to say a little, I'm going to say more about this. But there is a strengthening that comes in being together. Now, you, you have to listen. You have to share. You have to apply. I mean, you won't, you won't just mature spiritually by being in a room. No. But, but having said that, if, we're, if our hearts are humble and we are learners, and we do desire to do God's Word, there is a power that comes in just being together. Ever, some of you kids may not have even seen this, but back in my day, we cooked with charcoal. And I still prefer that. I don't think I ever had a gas grill until I came to Texas. That's because you want to get outside and inside as quickly as you can when you're grilling. California, it's an event. You stay out for hours. 
grilling, but here it's 105 degrees and humid. Just turn on the gas, get it quick, let's get in and out. That's kind of how I view grilling. But, but charcoal, I, the way we'd always do that is we'd pile up these briquettes, and you had to get them all in a stack. It'd kind of make it like a little mountain all together and pour some stuff on it, uh, some lighter charcoal, lighter fluid, whatever, light it up, and then they would heat up together. And then what would happen would be the heat would, uh, would be transferred briquette to briquette, and you'd have a pile of hot burning charcoal. But if you ever looked down at the pile and you saw one of them separated out, that one wouldn't be hot as the others. That one would be cold. There was a, a heat. There was a heat that came in just in, in, in being close in that environment and being connected. And in some ways, that's the way it is in the body of Christ. It, it's not the whole story. I understand that, that illustration breaks down at some point. But it's a big part of the story of just being together. What I can't say is that every briquette in the pile will be hot, but what I can say is every separated briquette will get cold. I can't say that. And there I don't think the illustration breaks down because the Bible here says don't neglect being together. Now here's, here's something he says that's powerful. is He's contrasting two things. One is isolation. The Christian in isolation. So don't neglect, verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, so some evidently are doing this in the church, but here's the contrast, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So don't avoid being together. So what's the contrast? But be together? No. The contrast is, but encourage one another. So the being together in life, in community, doing life together is an encouraging aspect of our lives, that the gospel is to be applied to us in community. We must be together. Now, technology, I'm thankful for technology, but technology can give the illusion that we are more connected than we really are. In some ways, in our age, the, the, the thought that we're connected to people, we're virtual friends with people we've never met. That's what we call them. That's my friend. That's my Facebook friend. I don't know them. I've never met them. never talked to them. never been in their house. never been in my house. But we're friends. Um, so there is this idea that we are more connected than we really are because of Facebook, because of Twitter, because of email, because of texts, because of cell phones, because of Skype. There's this idea that we can just be connected with so many people in a way that these people could have never imagined. Your, con- your only connection here is I see you, you see me. So, I mean, th- there could be a strength to this kind of connection. I mean, we're evaluating right now... Um, actually having a social network uh, that will actually be for our church. So we're not opposed to this. We're actually investigating this kind of technology to help facilitate some level of connection within our church to a greater degree. But there is no substitute for personal presence. There is no substitute for personal presence. And you obviously agree because you're here. And you may agree if you're listening to the podcast and you weren't here too. I'm not, not judging you, so take a deep breath. You may agree too. But those in the room right now, you agree because you're here. You didn't just download the podcast and say it doesn't, personal presence is meaningless to me. But God tells us here that you won't encourage your community if you aren't present with your community. Don't neglect meeting together, but encourage one another. You won't encourage your community if you neglect being with your community. This applies all kinds of ways. You won't encourage your spouse if you're not together communicating with your spouse. You won't encourage your children if you're not with your children. You won't encourage your friends. You understand how it goes. 
that personal presence is vital. Now, in our church, we gather in a lot of ways, but in two primary ways. We gather Sunday mornings, we gather in small groups, and that's really our context for the kind of community that is being talked about here. Um, there, there is a tremendous benefit to you when you draw near to God corporately in community. And to me, a big, great benefit for all of us when we do this. There is a tremendous benefit when you hold on to the promises with other people here. And when you hold on to the promises in your care group. But there is something in view here that's beyond our personal benefit. I mean, I get blessed when I come and have open, free access to God in worship with you. I personally benefit. Um, but there's something here that's in view that's much higher, or, or not necessarily higher, restate that, that is, that is also a very high benefit, and that is being present for the benefit of others. The whole argument here is don't neglect meeting together so that you can grow. That's not what he says, but don't neglect meeting together but encourage one another. What is in view here is the opportunity to encourage other people with your presence. It's not a consumer mentality. It's an, it's, it's, it's an others orientation. This is so countercultural to say to someone, don't neglect meeting together, but gather for the benefit of others. Now, there's benefit to you, of course. But his argument is encourage one another. If everyone's encouraging one another, you're going to get encouraged too. But the starting place is other people. Gather together so that you can encourage one another. Gather for the benefit of others and the glory of God. That is countercultural. We just don't think that way. In the culture, we don't think that way. In the flesh, we don't think that way. And sadly, in the church, we often don't think that way. We think personal benefit, which is present. But it seems like the strong motivation is gather for the benefit of others. Well, how do we do this? How does being together encourage and provoke one another to good works? It, it really is more than showing up. It is more than showing up. But I was thinking about a few things in my own life, my experience of how I've benefited from being with others. First thing is I think we can encourage others by reminder. You encourage others by reminder. We all tend to forget what the Savior has done for us. We just forget. We get in our little world. We get in our lives. We're busy. We feel sick. There are problems. The car breaks down. Someone is mad at us. We forgot a, a responsibility. We didn't fulfill a promise. We can't get everything done in a day. You just get so busy and so overwhelmed with all that's on is that we just can forget about all the stuff we're singing about and talking about today. Think about what's in this passage alone. Just the passage we read here. He has forgiven us. It says he sprinkled us clean by his blood. He is, Jesus Christ has forgiven us. Jesus Christ has given us open access. Jesus Christ is faithful to us. Hold on, because he is faithful. He is sovereign. He rules over his people. He is the priest over God's house. Just think of the reminders in this passage alone. And how much of our lives are lived not thinking about what it means to be forgiven right now. Not thinking about the faithfulness of God. We don't think about those things so often and we need a reminder. And when we are together, we have the power to remind one another in a compelling way of the truths in this passage. So when he says, don't forsake gathering together, but encourage one another. 
you could just go over what he said in the previous three verses and everybody would be encouraged. See, as I hear you share of God's faithfulness in your life, I am encouraged to press on. When someone opens up their heart and shares a difficulty and shares how God has been faithful and shares how God is helping them, it, it strengthens you. It, it imparts courage. That's encourage. It imparts courage to you in your walk with Jesus Christ as you hear from another person, as you hear the reminder of this truth. As you hear me share, and this has happened in my small group numbers of times, as I would share some kind of a challenge, something we're facing, that I'm facing, or my wife and I are facing, or our family's facing. I've had these kind of things specifically in the last couple of years where facing challenges and those in my care group could point me to the faithfulness of God, could share a scripture with me. And I'm, I need that reminder. Yeah, I've heard that verse before somewhere, but I, I didn't. Yeah, tell me that again. Remind me of that truth. You see objectively about me. I just see like this. I've got this very little, very small vision, pinhole vision sight of our own lives. But you see me more broadly. You see me objectively. So tell me what you see and encourage me. Remind me. And I'm encouraged to persevere. See, these folks were experiencing persecution. And they need the community. They need to be gathered together to say, let's hold on. So-and-so was jailed. So-and-so lost his job. So-and-so had his house burned down for the cause of Jesus Christ. Let's hang on because God is faithful to us and He will return for us. And they need what to isolate oneself in an environment of persecution is deadly. But I want to say to isolate oneself in a time of prosperity is deadly as well. In a different way. But you can get disillusioned. You can get disillusioned in persecution and lose your way. And you can get drunk in prosperity and lose your way. Chasing the idols of the age, the things of the age, the things of the world, and lose your way. We need to be reminded of who Christ is, what He's done. And we can do that with one another. Pointing each other to Scripture, talking, sharing, praying. Secondly, we're encouraged not only by reminder, but we're encouraged by example. I can't even describe how much I've learned specifically, specifically about marriage and parenting, how much I've learned by being around others. Matter of fact, most of what I've learned is how others have applied the scripture. I've read some marriage and parenting books, um, but people beat books every time. In other words, somebody living out the scripture and me watching and asking questions, I'll take that over a book any day. Um, I've been married 24 years. And of those 24 years, Ginger and I have been in small groups for 22 of those 24 years. Which two did you take a break? What was at the beginning? We didn't take a hiatus. But the first two two years, we weren't. (laughs) Yeah, I'm in a two-year hiatus right now. But I hope this all works out for you. Let me know. It was the first two years. So 22 years running. There you go. I don't don't want brownie points for that. I don't don't have access because of that. It's because of the Savior. But I am grateful how often I've been provoked to love and good works by watching other people and hearing their example and seeing their example. Example provokes and stirs up uh, in a powerful way to love and good works. This is in the Scripture. This is what Paul says. Paul says... Follow me as I follow the Lord. 
Paul says this in Philippians 4. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. What you have heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. What I've taught, what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've observed. Live this way. Well, that's one-on-one discipleship. I, I don't think so. Paul's writing to a church. Do you think everybody in the Philippian church had daily coffee with Paul for discipleship time? I don't think so. So when he says what you have seen and what you have observed in me in group, that's mostly what he's talking about. In some kind of group house church context as we related and shared our lives. This is how Jesus um, trained people is in a group in a setting. He had three. He had twelve. He had a a group of 70, but he was in relationship, in context with people that shared life with. You say, well, I don't have an example to share. I'm not Paul. I'm not Jesus. None of us are. So how can I encourage others by example? How can I provoke and stir up other people by my example when I'm not Paul? I'm a mess. Here's how you can stir people up if you are a mess. Here's how you can stir people up to love and good works. Acknowledge you're a mess and open up that mess and invite prayer and help for your sin, for your confusion, for your weakness, whatever mess means. That's a generic term. Here's what I've found. I've found that when I have taken a step out and it's hard, you know, because because of pride, it can be hard to open our lives. But when, when I take a step out and confess a sin, a weakness, a discouragement. I have. I have found people far more often thank me for that example than when I share some kind of a victory. It's not walking in and saying, yes, here's what I did for the Lord this week. That's really not what everybody's looking for. But when I open up and when I'm just real, let everyone know where you are. People have told me that that's what helped them best. And it doesn't surprise me because that's what helps me best. And it doesn't help to just watch someone 20 years of mess without any repentance and any change. That's not helpful. But to be honest and open and be leaning towards the Lord and trusting him to work in the life of others. That is leaning by. So everybody can encourage by example. Everyone can encourage someone else by example. How do we encourage one another? We encourage by reminder of the gospel. We encourage by example. We encourage by practice. We encourage by practice. He says, encourage one another to love and good works. How do you stimulate someone to good works? How do you stimulate someone to love? I mean, none of the care groups are offering cash prizes for good works. (laughs) Some of us would be a lot more motivated, but that's not where we're going. So it's not like, who did the greatest thing this week? Here's a $100 bill. we'll, We'll vote at the end. It goes to you. Here's how I think we stimulate or provoke or encourage other people to love and good deeds. We love them and we serve them with good deeds and we serve others with good works that they see by example as well. But we serve them primarily. When you express love to someone, it has a multiplying effect. When you are in community and you are doing something good to someone in need in your group, it has a multiplying effect. It spurs them on. Here's why. When someone listens to you, prays for you, helps you in a very practical way, you know, makes a meal for you, helps you fix something, gives you finances in your time of need, watches your children. 
when someone corrects you in a loving way and for your good and out of love for you brings to your attention a concern and then offers to help and pray for you and help you grow in that area. When someone does that, when someone gives to you and you experience the practical benefit of someone else's love for you, it inspires you. When you receive the love of God from someone else, it inspires you to turn around and pay it forward, as they say, and do the same. When you're the recipient of good works, or it should anyway, inspire us to then do the same for others. Practice of love and good works in community has a multiplying effect because the recipients, they see the example, they're affected, they're changed, they're helped, they're strengthened so that they can do the same for someone else. That's ideal, ideally how it's to work. So we encourage by our example, we encourage by our practice, we encourage by reminder, and lastly, we encourage with perspective. This is a passage where he says encourage one another. He's talking about perspective. Look what he says. Not neglecting, verse 24, to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So it's not just give everybody a pat on the back and help them feel good about each other. And it's encourage each other, provoke, strengthen, correct, help, serve, encourage, pray with Christ's return in view. Jesus is coming back. He is faithful to sustain us. Now let's walk this together. Let's walk this together. That's a perspective. We get so, I get so stuck in my own little world. My problems, my burdens, my thoughts, my challenges. So stuck, and and you likely do the same. We're so stuck in our own little world that community brings perspective. Being in community opens our eyes to, oh, there's people in the universe not named me. There are needs in the universe that aren't mine. There are people hurting, and there are people hurting way worse than I am. And I have the ability to serve and help. It brings perspective. But most of all here, it brings the perspective of eternity into view. Encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're called to something and to someone bigger than ourselves. And we're to encourage one another as we anticipate his return. We're preparing for his return. By seeking to be a people that are glorifying him. That are seeking to be a people that are living for his pleasure. That are seeking to be a people that are light in the darkness of the world. As we anticipate his return. We want to be vigilant in our growth because he is returning. We want to be vigilant in our heart for others because he is returning to judge the living and the dead. And by the way, living out verses 24 and 25 has the potential to have a tremendous impact on our witness. I mean, where in the culture are people gathering for the benefit of others to encourage them in love and good works and doing that by example, by listening ear, by care, by practical service? Where's that happening? I had a moment in here yesterday. There was a wedding in here yesterday. It was the first wedding in uh, this building. And there was a reception in here. And between the wedding and between the reception, this room had to be transformed. And so um, I just observed. It was, it was a pretty radical thing as all these people in nice clothing, suits, dresses, began just breaking down the room and changing it over. Lots of people, most of the wedding guests, because of their love, for this bride and the groom. And I noticed in particular the bride's care group and the groom's care group all doing 
positions of responsibility and caring and stuff. But I just thought, where in the world? I'd just love to have some, I'm sure there's lost people at the wedding. Just love to have them watch this. Who in the world has tons of people just set up and serve and care like that? It's just not common. This kind of community is pleasing to the Lord, but it helps the body of Christ prepare as we are a bride being fashioned for the groom who is returning. And it also has an external witness to those who will stand before this Savior and give an account for their life. And it gives life to the testimony. It gives a living example to the gospel that lives are changed and lives are transformed. Kevin, in his testimony before baptism, said, I could argue certain things, but I could not deal with the life change of those around me. And that caught his attention so that he read the Bible and ultimately became a Christian. That, that's what God has for us. That's what God wants to us, wants for us. Community brings perspective. It brings a perspective that I'm not all there is. There's the people I'm joined to. It brings a perspective of opportunity. I can invest my life in helping them in love and good works and growing in the Lord. It not only brings perspective but it brings uh, of the here and now, but it brings perspective that Christ is returning. Encourage each other more as you see the day, the return of the Lord, drawing near. Community brings that perspective because it gives us a reminder. People show us an example. We, we live the way God has called us to live when we are in community. Those are some of the most thrilling experiences of life. When we, interacting with others, see God at work in their lives. And realize we got to, by God's grace, play some part in partnering together as a family to encourage them in love and good works. That's living, I'll tell you. As we gather this week, let's gather to encourage one another. Because we're one week closer to his return or one week closer to your death. Good morning. One week closer to your death. He is coming or you are dying. One of those things is a week closer than we gathered last week. So let's spur one another on to bring him glory, to redeem the time, to invest our lives in what matters, to not neglect being together. I mean, what's more important than what these verses talk about? I mean, what do any of us have to do? What's on TV that's more important than this? Well, I don't know. What is more important than investing our life for the purpose of God and in giving our life to encourage one another. We can do that right now as we gather for lunch with people. We can do that during the week. Yes, you can do that virtually to a degree. I didn't say don't do that, but don't allow it to be a substitute for presence. We must be together in various contexts as we're able for the glory of God. For the good of us. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.